Today's Transmissions podcast is brought to you by 80stees.com. 80stees.com has an incredible selection of Transformers shirts and hoodies, including some amazing Transformers costume hoodies. Transform into Grimlock, Megatron, or even Optimus Prime with the 80stees.com costume hoodies. Hello. How's it going? Hey, how are you doing? Pretty good. Good to hear you. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> you guys are so damn polite. Shut <laughs> up. Shut the fuck up. Is that better? Is that more yeah. what you want? That's what he wants. Right. That's what Yoshi wants. That's not what we want. Hey, you're the dumb <laughs> asshole who couldn't choose a fucking cover for the year-end show. Yeah, I'm bringing it up to you. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Bam! <laughs> Bring it down. So it's okay to swear on this podcast. <laughs> Just so you know. I don't care about your rules. <laughs> I make up my own rules. <laughs> I work with James Roberts. There are rules. <laughs> God, geez, should I know who that is? I feel like I should know who that is. <laughs> Does that name mean anything? It means anybody if you're important and not trapped in the 80s. Oh, oh damn! Boom. This is going to be a podcast. Yes, it is. <laughs> Hello, all sentient beings, and welcome to the Transmissions Podcast, where we talk about all news, toys, and comic books related to the. On this episode of Transmissions, we welcome IDW Transformers comic book artist Alex Milne for a special interview. So hang on tight as we speak with one of the industry's most amazing talents. Welcome to Transmissions, the podcast that will kick your ass in Nintendo. I'm your host, Charles, a.k.a. Big C, and I'm joined by the excellent Transmissions team. Yusuf, better known as Yoshi. Yo! Jeremy, a.k.a. Yakko. Hey. And Daryl, the Cybertronian Beast. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Let's talk Transformers. All right. And today we have a very special guest on the show. He's a giant in the pantheon of modern Transformers comics artists and has worked on many, many series for both Dreamwave and IDW. In the last two years, he has gained even more acclaim as the regular artist for the excellent Transformers More Than Meets the Eye ongoing series. And if that wasn't enough, his designs inspire Hasbro and third-party toy designers to bring his drawings to life. Please welcome Mr. Alex Milne. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Yeah, welcome. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. I couldn't let everybody else have the fun. Like, you had everybody else on. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Am I chopped liver over here? I think you, you like the book that I'm drawing. Let you, me, like, talk about it for a while. You are definitely not chopped liver. You know, we were just... You know, we didn't have the, enough confidence to ask you directly, so thank yeah, you we, for <laughs> for bringing we it up. Thought you were too good for us. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I I will spread the love around to everybody or anybody. Well, we definitely appreciate it. All right, well, let's uh, get right into a nice get down little... to the nitty gritty. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, this is a question we start off uh, with uh, all our artists. So. 
Was there a certain point in your life that you can look back on and say, that was the point I became an artist? <clears throat> nice, nice, easy question right off from the bat. Uh, I guess, I guess it's when I was, um, a kid and I was drawing a lot. Um, the one that, one thing I can remember is, um, back in high school, uh, one of the projects, or not even, uh, even further back, elementary school had a project where, um, we had to create like a, a written piece of fiction for, um, our English class. And I asked the teacher, can I do a comic book? And she was like, yeah. And so I created a comic book for that. So that was grade eight for me. So probably back then. And then probably midway through high school, I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing this the rest of my life. Cool. So as a young age, I probably had my mom to blame for that because she said that I was a problem child growing up, like throwing stuff and ripping wallpaper off the wall until she's like, here's a coloring book. Sit there, color, shut up, stay out of my hair. And <laughs> I, I've been coloring or like doodling, oh yeah, coloring too, and all this other stuff since then. Oh, great. So <laughs> your mom was upset, and that's why we have awesome Transformers comics today. Pretty much. It is pretty much to keep me in line, keep me out of trouble. <laughs> You know what they say? Idle hands are the devil's plaything. Well, so how did you break into the comics industry? What was your first paid work? That's like, that's like a nice, uh, semi long story. Um, back when I was in college for my, um, technical illustration course, at that time it was a diploma, a three year diploma program. Now it's a four year degree program. But back then you had to do a month of co-op to get your uh, final credit. And around that time, I was really big into pursuing um, movie production design and special effects stuff because I, I really wanted to go to or try and get a work placement at ILM. And my teacher was like, no, no, try and find something closer. It's like, because what, what happens if you get out there and like they don't have enough work for you to do or like you, the cost of going out there would be too great. So he's like, look, look for something closer. And. Around that time, uh, Dreamwave had been just started up doing the Transformer comic books. So, and they were about an hour away by car. So I decided to, uh, try for them for a work placement. So I got a portfolio together and, um, I didn't have a car at the time. So I took a three hour bus trip down there and I submitted my portfolio and trying to find the way I, I'm in an area where I don't know where I'm going or like how to get back. I only know how to get down there. So I'm like, okay, I drop off the portfolio. I don't get to meet anybody. And I'm like, okay. They're like, we'll, we'll give you a call. And I'm like, hmm. I left. And I'm like, what am I going to do now? So I was like looking at the time. I'm like, ah, let me call my mom. Be like, what do I do here? She's like, well, I, I don't know where that area is, but if you can walk down like to this one intersection here, I'll meet you there. And I'm like, okay, that was an hour walk in like blizzard conditions. Yeesh. And. I uh, I finally got there. My mom picked me up, and I was like, I was pretty upset because I was like, this is a big ass waste of time here. Those guys, uh, they jerked me around, like, because I had called before to see if it was all right to drop off a portfolio, and they said, yeah, sure, and to like probably talk to somebody about a work placement just for a school thing. Anyways, I didn't hear back for a while, and my teacher uh, was like, have you pressed them about this issue? This issue, I have like another student who works for them part time in like the year below, so he's like. Let me bug him. And I guess my teacher bugged him for the contact info and he didn't stop calling Dreamwave. 
until they're like, yeah, come, shut, like, can you shut your teacher up and just come the hell in so he'll <laughs> like stop bugging us? So I went down there again and I had a, an interview with, um, their art director at the time, whose name was, uh, Robert Fulo. And he said, uh, well, it's, it's good stuff. So I can tell that at that moment, he actually looked through my portfolio and he's like, would you be interested in doing like some of the, uh, more than meets the eye profile guides doing the uh, alt mode renderings because it required a, a lot of technical skill to uh, try and get the uh, vehicles to look right. So I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. So I came in uh, the start of my work placement and they set me up in this uh, one little room that was uh, an area that was like a go-between between like different offices. It had like a, a door that you could push open and like from either side that would swing back and forth. And I was Eventually, I found that room to be very annoying because of the amount of traffic to go through because the other side of the office would run through there to use the photocopier, which was directly across the way. So it was kind of frustrating after a while. But um, I was doing uh, alt mode sketches for or yeah, full drawings for about mm, the first two weeks. And then uh, one of the editors and one of the writers, I don't know if he got, ever got editing credit, but it was um, James McDonough who, along with this one other guy, Adam Pack, was known as Brad Mick. Right. And he's he was looking at my stuff, and he's like, you uh, said it was pretty good. And one day he caught me uh, drawing a robot at my desk, because I had a lot of free time. And he's like, hey, if I gave you some robot profiles, do you think you could do them? And I was like, yeah. So I was drawing, um, was it uh, Power, was it the Power Links versions when they came out in Energon, like the Reek? the repaints of uh, some of the bigger characters. Um, I did like mm-hmm. a Demolisher and I did a Vortex and um, I did a Powerlinks Optimus Prime. I did a Megatron picture combined with Tidal Wave. And then he's like, okay, I got, I want you to do the last page of the Armada Morna Mitsui profile. So it was like an actual comic page. And I did that. And my work placement was over. And I went to Pat and I was like, hey, Pat, uh, just wanted to say thanks for the opportunity. Uh, it was great working here. He's like, are you like not planning on coming back? I was like, I didn't know that was a possibility. He's like, yeah, it's like, uh, when you're done school, we have a book for you to work on. And I was like, sweet. And so as soon as I finished school, I was working on Energon. Wow. Nice. And so I guess those profiles, which the work placement was supposed to be non pay, but uh, they actually paid me for that work. So the, that kind of little, uh, work for that more than Armada, more than meets profile was my first paid work. Okay. Oh, I think it uh, wasn't Josh Bertram doing some coloring on some of those profiles too at the time. Uh, Josh Bertram didn't color any of those profiles. It was Josh Prez that colored. Oh, and that's how okay. I actually uh, met up with Josh Prez at that time. Oh, okay. He actually colored that last page, uh, for that profile book, um, the actual comic page. And we had a back and forth what we were trying to accomplish for that page. So it was like Batman meeting Robin there. Yep. And this year marks 10 years that we've been working together. Wow. Okay. All right. So can you take us through what is your process for drawing? Are you still uh, kind of a pencil and paper or do you do digital? I do it all traditional. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know. I, I'm not used to doing stuff too much on the computer and I prefer to actually have an actual page to work on. Okay. So when my, my process is I get a script. I'll read through the entire script. And I cry a little bit, and sometimes I die a little inside <laughs> to see what I actually have to work on. 
then that's what, uh, James Roberts scripts have to. Uh, that's what they do to you after a while. It, it's not a proper James Roberts script if you don't die a little inside. <laughs> He's got to kill something. He does. He has to kill something, and he tries to kill my soul. What he ha- <laughs> what he doesn't know is it's gotten to the point now where I have become some sick, twisted, sorry, like uh, psychotic bastard. That whatever he does just like fuels me to go on. So. <laughs> I, I think I still, I still cry a little because I'm like thinking about how much work will go into a page. I'm like, oh, my hand's gonna like cramp up. And I'm just like, oh, it's gonna take so long. <laughs> I think the technical term is masochist. <laughs> Probably. Are, but, are you the Tarn to his Megatron? Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll take that. I'll, I'll be Tarn. I like that character. I should hope. Um, but I'll get. I'll get the the script, and then I will do um, breakdowns, like little thumbnail sketches. And usually I take uh, 11 by 17 copier paper, and I divide it up into uh, 10 uh, to represent, like, the pages that I actually work on. They're not actually to scale, but... And I'll just do, like, little quick doodles. Um, Most of the time, you wouldn't even recognize what the character looks like. It's just enough for me to know. And I'll lay out the page, and it's easier if I uh, I'm trying to figure out um, positioning or an angle that I want to work really small, because then uh, if you don't like it, it's easier to erase. But somehow working small, you get a better way of doing like some composition sketches. Okay. Once I've done once I've done that, I send that off to John Barber and James Roberts, and they'll be like, yeah, yeah, this is good. Hey, make sure to make space for all this dialogue. Usually it's John saying, make sure it's leave space for all this dialogue because James wrote like a novel. <laughs> so you have to fit that novel in that panel. It's like, good luck with that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> then I will, once I get that approved, I'll start working on the good, like the full size pages, which are, I have like, um, 11 by 17 artboards that I work on. And I'll basically, I try and work in order, but sometimes depending on the amount of time that I have, uh, I'll work out of order just to, I'll pick some of the pages that might be quicker to do just to get like a, a larger batch out of the way so that the colorist has something to work on because I don't want to have anybody waiting around for me to stop dragging my ass. And then, uh, I'll work on the harder pages. And then, uh, once I've drawn about probably five, five to ten pages, I'll start inking them in and I use like tech pens and brushes and India ink. Okay. Then then I scan it onto like I have like a eleven by scan um actually a twelve by eighteen scanner. It's an Epson. And uh I scan it, bring it into Photoshop, and I will go through the page and make sure it's the proper size, make sure I have it cropped to the proper dimensions. And then I'll go in and I'll start erasing areas that scan like um maybe some of the pencil picked up when I scanned it. Usually I scan it in black and white so most of the pencil doesn't get picked up, but sometimes uh, it'll read some of that gray and it'll make like a little black mark. And I'm like, no, no, I didn't like that. So I have to go in and erase it mm-hmm. or an area where maybe the line didn't meet up correctly and it went a little bit over. I'm like, okay, got to clean that up too. So I just like to make sure that when I'm giving a page to any colors that I've gone through and I've cleaned it up as best as I can, because I, if you give them a page and you haven't cleaned it up, that's extra work for them really. And I try not to do that because they do a, they do a hell of a lot to begin with. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like to try and accommodate them. Right. So uh, since you're still pretty much all traditional 
what are your thoughts on on digital drawing solutions? Have you have you tried out like a Wacom tablet or a Microsoft Surface or any kind of tablet or, or just to see what it feels like? I I have like I have a tablet. Okay. Um, I don't I don't have like one of those really good Cintiq tablets, which I'm dying to get a hold of because um one thing I want to do is be able to draw like on the actual surface. Right. But get like the movement of uh my hand across like i can't i don't really draw like s- like straight like um if you have like when you have a tablet you have like that one little area that's like your screen area mm-hmm. that, that the arrow the cursor will go around and for um the tablet i have it's like okay if i hold my hand at an angle and i do this one line it's not going to do that weird diagonal line that i want most of the time so i like to have like when I have a page, I have the page turned to the, the the comfortable position for my hand to make a straight line across. Okay. So using like a Cintiq, I'd be able to hold the Cintiq any way I want and start drawing that way. So I could like move that tablet around and draw like I would like a normal page. So I'm I'm kind of interested in getting hold of one of those, but do I want to spend the money on that or do I want to spend the money on toys? Hmm. That's a very <laughs> tough decision. Usually toys beats that out. That and food. <laughs> well, you know, you you gotta have your priorities, right? <laughs> but um, they are they are rather interesting. Um, there's a, a small studio. I don't know if it's very small, but I know it's a studio that I watch called Creature Box. It's got um, had like two guys primarily work for it, and they've uh, they've done artwork for like Ratchet and Clank and stuff like that. But I've watched uh, videos of them actually drawing on a tablet with certain programs. I'm just like, yeah, I want to do that. I want to create a sketchbook with stuff like that. In it. And I'm like, that's with a Cintiq, I know. So I'm like, I okay, I gotta actually got to save up money for that eventually. But the, the lure of toys, I'm like, hmm, yes. <laughs> one day, one day. One day I'll be stronger. Well, I'll just, just put it on your Christmas list. Maybe someone will get it for that, you. That or I'll fly down to Bertram's uh, place and I'll hit him over the head and <laughs> take the Cintiq. And I'll be like, you don't need this, really. You, 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 you've done it with a mouse for the longest time. You don't really need this. Whack. Thank you. Oh, yeah, the pages are due next week. <laughs> Watch out, Josh. <laughs> so uh, you've worked with a lot of writers uh, in the last few years in Transformers. Uh, I mean, I think probably almost every writer who's touched Transformers has uh, has worked with you uh, through uh, Dreamwave and IDW. So is there a writer that's easier or harder to work with? Uh, that it's the same person, right? Okay. The, the easiest writer for me to work with, and the, the hardest writer for me to work with is James Roberts. Okay. Because there are times when it's like we're we're clicking, we're on the same page here, and it's like, yeah, this is this is really great here. And then there are times when we just butt heads, and it's Clash of the Titans, and it takes like our editor to like break us up. <laughs> It's madness. And most of the time, the, the arguments are about doors. Really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he wants a door to look a certain way or do a certain thing. I'm like, that's stupid. I'm like, that wouldn't work like that. This is, this is like a science fiction book. Why am I having a hinge, like, swing door here? That doesn't make any sense. Are we on Earth in the saloon? What do you got going here? <laughs> well, he is British. <laughs> uh, I, I, I can't really make a, like, a, a bad comment about that because my family comes from Britain, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you're Canadian now. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was born here, but my family is, like, from over there. But, yeah. And you're still but, in the but, but he he is, like, from that island. Like, not the main island. He's from oh. the smaller island. So, yeah, yeah I, could, I could be like, yeah, you're just from that really small island over there. What the hell do you know? <laughs> <laughs> so. When he listens to this, he's going to be like, I'm going to, like, oh that. He's like, oh that bastard, man. I mean, like, wait until you see this page here. You're going to. Wish like I would easy on you. Hinge doors and every panel from now on. He's like, you think we compromised before? I'm just gonna like, I'm just gonna make all these basic doors and drive you crazy. I'm gonna be like, that's when I'll probably ignore him and just draw what I want. (laughs) Yeah, we we haven't seen any walk-in closets on the rooms in the Lost Light, so yet. You just post, you just give him the, like the idea here. <laughs> Thanks. Well, you know, sorry. <laughs> That's all right. If you want walk-in closets, yeah. we'll draw them. So you mentioned, uh, you know, he's kind of both the easiest and the hardest writer to work with. So in the in that context, you've been, you know, you've been working with him pretty much for two years straight. So. I've, I've been working with him for over two years because um, the first time that I got to work with him was on Chaos Theory. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. And when I first worked with him, he had a first page, first panel description was three pages long, what he wanted going on on that panel. In a single panel? Yeah. Wow. That opening shot of uh, Megatron and uh, Impactor sitting at the bar at McAdams mm-hmm. was three pages long of just what he wanted going on because he had like the mood and like types of lighting that he wanted and i was just like i'm just drawing this and he's like make sure that the the mcadams on the window is like reversed because we're looking in from the out or we're looking from the uh, inside out so the sign would be on the outside so naturally if you're looking if you're on the inside the sign would be reversed if you were looking at the window i'm like I would have known that to begin with. <laughs> it's, it's all very useful information. And like, we hadn't worked together ever before. So I can see why he put it in. Now, now he gives me a little bit more trust in what he wants, but until he's like really determined to get something and then I'll get like those huge description, descriptive panels of what he wants. And I'm like, okay, okay. You, I, <laughs> when I see that, I'm like, okay, I know you really want it to look like this. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> Well, that that kind of it kind of leads into my question. So, in this context, have you ever gotten? I mean, maybe not just a, with more than meets the eye, but in general, have you ever gotten sick of drawing transformers or drawing in general? Um, not really with James. Like each, it's really funny. Like um, when I start, when I used to start like a new project before I started on more than meets the eye, I was always when I get the new book, I'm like always really excited, like lots of energy, like lots of excitement. Um lots of positivity to it. And halfway through the project, that's all gone. And I'm just like, I want this book to be done. I'm sick of it. This isn't fun anymore. It's just work. I want to get done. Move on. Take like a nap. <laughs> like go suck on a path, pacifier because I'm a big baby. I don't know. All this stuff. But when I worked with James and on More Than Meets the Eye, every script, every script is like a joy to read and it's exciting. I'm always like really excited to work on the book. Um, I'm always unhappy when somebody else works on the book. I understand that we all can't do every issue and I'm like, yeah, right, fine. I'll like go kick, like kick some dirt and like, go, <laughs> like sulk in the corner, but I don't want to give up. 
who do you got working on? Um, Nick, damn it, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's it's probably the first time in my career that I'm like always excited to work on the next book, and I hadn't felt tired or unenergetic. Even when my body's like, you need to slow down and take a nap. You can't keep working on four hours of sleep at night. You need more than that. It's like you're getting old. You're an old man now. <laughs> you're, you're past 30. You're old. You, I'll show you how old you are. I'm going to start turning your beard white. Enjoy. <laughs> but I'm not going to do it evenly. It's going to be in patches. Enjoy. So did they have to like pull you away from the table for Dark Cybertron since they didn't, since, uh, I guess the timing was off that you weren't able to work on that? Uh, when Dark Cybertron was going on, I was working on Remain in Light. Okay, right. So I couldn't have worked on it to begin with. Right. And that I was working on Remain in Light right up until September. Oh, okay. The, the, the last book came out in September. I was finishing up like the last page in September. So it was a miracle that book got out in September. <laughs> and like I had just come back from auto assembly and I was doing all this stuff and I was just like, I'm burnt out. Like this book is done. And stupid me, I was, uh, I was like, I'm gonna ink this last book myself because I'm like, I, I'm a big shot here. I'm gonna ink this book. And part of me was, uh, not overly, uh, happy with, uh, some of the inks from before. Like, but I can only imagine what Brian was going through inking my stuff because I have been told from when I worked at Dreamwave that I'm an inker's nightmare because I draw too much stuff in there. Oh. So I can, I can only imagine what was going on in his mind. He's like, damn it, I gotta work with this guy. I hate him. <laughs> I'll be nice to him. He'll be like, he'll be like, I'll be nice to him when I see him at a convention. I'll come up and hi, say hi, but really I'm thinking I'm, I want to stab you in the neck, Alex, because why, why did you draw that? And I'll uh, be like, it's not my fault. Blame James. He wrote it. He wrote Ambulon being cut in half and I just decided I'm gonna gore up that page to try and be as gory as Nick did. <laughs> No, but, uh, really, I just, um, I had, like, certain ideas for, um, the inking of that book. Mm -hmm. And it was just faster for me to, like, really loosely draw it down and then go straight to inking it. But then I was like, yeah, this is taking a while longer than what I thought. But it might have taken the same amount of time if I was penciling it. Then the book would have been later because it would have had to have gone to an inker and he would have been like, yeah, you're, you're making me work too hard on this. <laughs> Well, I think the the important thing is you got everything done, and we were all blown away by that last issue, so you but, did a great uh, job. I did get to work on one issue of Dark Cybertron, or part of an issue of Dark Cybertron, which should be coming out soon. Yeah, that's, that's the next installment, so. That's right. And is Josh Perez coloring that one, too? So it it's, is, He is, he is. It's like, it's, it's the return of the dream team. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like. I'm like, hey, we get to work together again. And then at the end, he's like snatched away. And I'm like, you're, you're teasing me here. You're teasing me. <laughs> like, you, you're, you're putting us together again. And then you're taking us away. I'm like, that's not, that's not funny. That's not funny at all. <laughs> well, just, to, just to go back to that, since uh, you mentioned that you guys first got together back in the Dreamwave days. Uh, so what was it that, like clicked between you two or do you also have burrito powers like Josh or, you know, how did you guys just, you know, get to work so well together? I, I must have burrito powers and that must explain my love of Mexican food because it's like one of my favorites. But, um, no, uh, we've just been working together for so long. We, we talk all the time. Um, he is like probably one of my best friends. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I actually consider him like, like an actual brother to me. Oh, wow. Like that's, okay. that's how, that's how I feel about him. And, uh, we, we work very well together. And it's kind of like, I'm, it's, it's great to work with Josh Bertram, but like, to me, I'm, not, I'm always upset that I'm not working with Josh Prez because like, you're breaking up like what we've spent so many years working on. <laughs> Well, it's it's really been amazing seeing your work evolve over the last few years. I mean, from you know the first things we saw you drawing to now, it seems like you've your style has just changed and evolved a lot. So, is there anything that you do to to keep improving and changing your style? What you mean is, wow, you were crap before, but now you're you're not. So, what happened? <laughs> That's what you're saying, right? No. I ne- no, I never thought you were crap. <laughs> I you can read between the lines. <laughs> I hear it. The little voice in my head's like, he's saying you were crap before. <laughs> and you should listen to him because you were. <laughs> I don't know if, um, I feel like as an artist that you're always constantly, uh, progressing, um, always learning new ways of doing things. If, if you think like, hey, I'm the best and like this is as good as I'm going to get, then you're, you're kind of like, not like evolving as an artist and kind of full of yourself there. Cause there's always like something new to learn and like the best artists in the world are ones that keep uh, learning new things and keep changing stuff. So I try, I try to change things and learn new stuff whenever I can. Okay. Um, yeah. And probably uh, like the more fun I have with a book, like the more I, I put into it. It's not saying like the other books were bad or like not overly enjoyable, but, um, Something that I have that I feel more in, or I have more enjoyment working with, I'll put like a little bit more in it. I guess it sparks that creativity more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, just just specifically, one thing that I that I've kind of noticed is in more than meets the eye, a lot of the facial expressions seem really to carry emotion really well. You know, that that's one thing that if I had a criticism about your previous work, that was that the facial expressions didn't really have a lot of, uh, you know, expression or emotion. And with more than meets the eye, it seems like that's really gone up to another level. And like, you know, just, just with people who have a visor and a faceplate and nothing else, you seem to be able to, to still get emotion out of them. So is there anything there that you did specifically to improve that? Yeah. Um, when I was first starting drawing transformers, I was treating it more like, okay, yeah, they're robots. They have metal faces. Um, I didn't want to draw like the, the original Marvel liquid metal face back then. I was like, maybe I can come up with some way of doing it. So it's like a very mechanical looking face, kind of like what the movie did, but not drawing it like the movie, like drawing mm-hmm. it something that looked better. <laughs> and, uh, there's, there's a lot of hit or miss there. And when I started working on some of the ongoing issues, I was just like, all right, let's just, start scrapping this. This isn't working anymore. Like I'm getting sick of it. It's not really what I want to draw. And, uh, it seemed like, Hey, um, certain people can have fun doing other things. Like I, I'm a big, uh, fan of manga and uh, Japanese anime and stuff like that. So I'm like, I want to try some of the more wacky stuff that they do. Mm-hmm. So I, I scrapped like even bothering to try and make them look like a mechanical face now. And I'm like, okay, let's just treat it like a, a normal person's face. <laughs> and I'll just add like certain parts on there. And I'll be like, if you're a mechanical guy, you get like a nice chisel block of a chin right there. And maybe some lines that go down the side of the face at times, but that's about it. Okay. 
So are you responsible for Fulcrum's chin, or did James have that in the script already? He said something about a mighty chin, and I was like, okay, mighty okay. chin. <laughs> now, now that I look at it, I'm like, mm, it could be bigger, it could be bigger. But I was like the idea, I like the idea of him having like a like a bombardier hat, like okay. a helmet on, uh-huh. and that that's part of his chin too, like that helmet structure. Okay, yeah, I like that. It's kind of like a, a World War II era look. Yeah, and um, that was something in issue eight when we saw the flashback of him like jumping out of the plane. That was something like James was like, "Have it like a World War II feel." I'm like, "All right, he's got goggles and he's gonna have like this awesome bombardier helmet and like the plane actually has like I was thinking of a a bomber style plane, like a B two bomber, but make it look like a Decepticon jet too. So if we ever saw like the underneath of that ship, it would have had like a ball turret." Oh, okay. One day, one day I'll draw it again. I'll be like, James, can we have a flashback to here? He'll be like, no, no. I determine what goes on in this book. You just draw, Art Monkey. <laughs> Is that how he talks to you? <laughs> uh, no, he he does it with a British accent. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> he, uh, talking, talking to James is like, uh, like getting that extra layer of butter on your popcorn. It's like so smooth and like rich but you know it's not good for you that's what it sounds like so he's like he's trying to like coerce me with his words his smooth buttery way of talking that's him (laughs) and i i know it's like to my detriment (laughs) it's like junk food you know it tastes so good but you know it's really bad for you those grits they're a wily bunch (laughs) closets closets everywhere (laughs) so if you got the chance so is there a comic that you like your dream comic that you'd like to work on, you know, Transformers or otherwise, if, you know, the whole universe of comics is before you, which would you pick? Mm, there are a lot of choices because I read a lot of comic books. Well, I read a lot of comics when I have the time to. I should say I flip through a lot of comic books, which I buy, and then I put them in a stack and wait to read them later. And then when that stack falls over, when I've knocked it over by accident, I you, you might hear me in Alaska. <laughs> um is this before you've polybagged them no but even when they're polybagged like when there's a big enough stack that falls over i'm like ah, that book at the bottom better not have bent <laughs> uh i don't um i'm a huge fan of batman so working on a batman book would be amazing that or like iron man or spider-man cool you uh you did the drawing of the uh the batmobile in transformer form didn't you you mean, um... The commission? What, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, the commission, yeah. Yeah, that is amazing. Just thought I'd put that up there. Good work. <laughs> is this the one that we we looked at a, a couple uh, months ago, but yeah, didn't know? Yeah, who... a bunch of episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that just kind of clicked. Uh, big Batman fan, artist. He probably drew that. <laughs> <laughs> if it's the one that Josh colored and it's got, like, the bat symbol, the little strip of background in the bat... Was it like uh, the '86? Yeah, or the, or the, uh, the, movie? the yeah, the Keaton, the Michael one, Keaton. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah. was me. Yeah, that's kick-ass. <laughs> that was fun to work on. Mm-hmm. Just wanted to put that out there that I really liked that. <laughs> <laughs> if if my opinion matters at all. <laughs> are Are you hinting to me? You're like, I really like that. Can you draw that for me? Yes, and and make it into a toy too, because <laughs> you obviously have pull somehow. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll get right on that. 
We like to be very demanding of our guests. Yes. <laughs> As you should be. So, uh, I mean, it, at least for us, we're very happy that you got your start in uh, Dreamwave and got into Transformers comics. But, of course, we know the Dreamwave situation didn't end so happily. So, um, I mean, it's known that uh, Pat Lee owes a lot of people money, but it seems like he owes a lot, a, a big chunk of that to you. Uh, and I guess that has, has that ever been resolved or is it still, it's still out there, still hanging out there? Okay. This, this is going to be a bit of a, a longer story here. Okay. Um, but you might as well ask like all the questions of Patley now so everybody can get out of the way. So the whole ghosting and everything. Um, for the money issue, um, he didn't owe me that much money. He owed me the, the amount of two books that I worked on. Okay. For, um, the people they owed a lot more to was like Don and uh, an inker named Elaine and that. But um, since Dreamwave went into bankruptcy and everything, uh, the the creditors or the people that he owed the most money to got paid off first, and then later on, it's like whatever money was left over was divvied up between some of the other ones. And we never, like, I never saw any of that money. Mm-hmm. And frank, frankly, uh, like, I don't care about it. I'm like, I'm like, put that behind me. Yeah, I might have been, I might have been angry at one point or upset. Mm-hmm. But Hey, companies go bankrupt. Like if you uh, don't manage it properly, this stuff happens. Right, it's learning like a learning experience. Right, yeah, and I guess was it was it after uh, Dreamwave went bankrupt that uh, I think w- did Pat Lee ask you to draw some pages for him for another book or something like that? Yeah. Um. So I never I never worked on any like I never ghosted or did like anything for him. During Dreamwave, mm-hmm. I'm, um, it was after, after Dreamwave and Bankrupt, he started up a new company called Dream Engine. Right. And I came on, I did like a few odd, like jobs, um, but primarily I came on as a background artist. So he would draw, he would do like the layout on the page, he would draw on the characters, or more, sometimes he'd have the characters roughed in, and I would put the backgrounds in, and then I'd give the pages back to him. Okay. And I did that for when he was working on Marvel Knights Spider-Man. And he was also working on Top Cow's uh, Cyber Force at the time. So um, I was working, I did the first issue of Cyber Force, all the backgrounds and that. Uh, the pages when it was like a complete background, he would uh, mostly uh, give to me to work on. Sometimes, sometimes he would have it like completely laid out. Sometimes it wouldn't be. Um, then, uh, I wasn't, I didn't get, it was like, I was getting like a bit of late payment mm-hmm. on things. And I'm like, okay, I can't do any more work for you until I get paid. And then I stopped working. Then he called me up. He's like, okay, I got your money here and stuff like that. And we can continue on as before. And I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. And then he wanted to talk to me about, okay, there's a, he was working also on, um, Superman, Batman, which was a really important book for him at the time. And he wanted to focus a lot on that, that he was like, okay, there's a lot of pages with Cyberforce coming up that have like a lot of background stuff going on. He's like, how about you lay out those pages? And I did them and I drew in all the backgrounds and the machines, like the, the vehicles, the jets, some robots and all that. And he was like, these are really good. And I was like, I told him how much fun I had doing them. And he's like, do you want to do it for the rest of the six issues? Or at that time it was issue three that I had done a couple of pages like that for. I was like, yeah, sure. I jumped at the opportunity. It's a bit more money for me too. So from issues four to six of Cyberforce, 
I did all the layouts, all the backgrounds, all of the mechanical stuff, all the vehicles in there. And I had roughed in where the characters were going to go. And I tried to match like the style that he would do. And then I gave him the pages to work on. And, uh, I guess, uh, I got credit for doing backgrounds for a while and then I didn't get credit for a while and that's when we parted ways. And I, I was upset about that for a while because I was doing all this work. Right. Getting no credit. But now, now, uh, like, it doesn't bother me anymore. I'm just like, whatever. If he, if he's angry or if he's upset or disappointed, it's like, I'm sorry. Like, I, I, I don't feel any ill will towards him anymore. It's like, it's, it's in the past. Like, if I saw him today, I'd be like, hey, how's it going? How's your family? How's your brother? All this stuff. Like, hope he's doing well. Okay. So, were you, did you get paid for all those issues that you worked on there? I think, um, there's only a few, a few pages, maybe half a book that I didn't get paid for. Okay. But I'm just like, eh, whatever. I'm just letting it go. I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. I got better things to do. Right. You've moved on to bigger and better things. Yeah. I moved, I moved on to a company that pay, actually paid me on time. <laughs> so do you know how common ghosting is in the comics industry? Is, do you, do you think that goes on a lot? Uh, it, it's hard to say. Um, I know at certain points, uh, having a background artist was a little bit more common, especially for artists that were doing a lot of books at the time. It's hard for one person to do all that work. Right. And if they want like a really technical background in, like they don't have the time to throw it in. So you will hire an artist that can actually throw the backgrounds in. You've already done most of the main work. You've done the layout. You've probably plotted in where you want stuff to go. You're just giving it to them to tighten up the background and put in some of the extra details. They don't touch the characters or anything like that. Okay. Um, ghosting, uh, some, sometimes that, like, you just want, like, an artist, if you don't have the time, you're still gonna do the, the main drawing for it, but you don't have the time to do the layouts because you're working on another project. You'll give the, the pages to, like, somebody else. They'll do, like, the initial layouts, and then they'll give it back to you, and you'll look at the page, and you'll correct whatever you think doesn't work, but you'll just go over it and then draw it in your own style. Okay. So, you're, you're still doing a lot you're still doing a lot of drawing, but you're not doing a lot of the planning anymore. So it's tr- kind of saving you time, but um, it's not the best thing to do. And if you can work at it, you can get fast enough that you don't need to use them. Right. Are you familiar with any other like big name cases of ghosting that we like that is not r- widely known or not really really known? Uh. I'm not 100% sure about anything like that. I knew I heard it at one time. Now I can't be 100% right about this, and I can't remember exactly where I heard it from. But I heard at one point that uh, Michael Turner was doing some background art when he started out. So he was doing backgrounds for uh, maybe possibly Mark Silvestri at the time. But I can't be 100% positive on that. But that doesn't mean he was ghosting. He was just throwing in the backgrounds. Okay. Because uh, Silvestri was running a company and doing a comic book and other things. So. Right. <laughs> when when you, when you become the big boss of a company, you have other things to do, like answer phone calls and go to business meetings and all this boring stuff that I don't want to do. Right. One day I might have to do it when I do my own thing, but not right now. Okay. So as a person in the comics industry, what are your what's your opinion on uh, digital comics and do you see how do you see the market shaping up uh, with the uh, digital versus physical comics? Uh it's a, a really tricky like subject with me. 
Um, I, I can see the usefulness of a digital comic because of space and like, um, how easy it is to transport around. For me personally, I, I, I can't stand them because I can't stand sitting at my monitor and reading it all the time because it gives me severe eye strain and like constant headaches that turn into migraines. So I can't really <laughs> sit and read a comic book on the computer all the time. When I get a, a PDF from IDW to review, I'm sitting there and I'm just like, Ugh. after a while, it's like it hurts my head. So I'm probably not the best person to ask about digital comics, what I feel about them. Okay. But um, I do use them. Like I, I buy the trades for RID and more than meets the eye. Uh, in a digital format to take around to the conventions when I need reference if I'm doing a sketch for somebody or if I'm if I take pages to work on at a convention but like back in my hotel room or something I'll uh I'll bring it along on like a, a Kindle or something that my fiance has and I'll pull up reference and use that mm-hmm. okay but I, I again I can see where people like the appeal of like saving space like saving trees don't not wasting it on a paper product, but I, I really enjoy having a, a comic book, a physical comic book in my hands. Mm-hmm. I can like scour over it and be like looking so close that like the steam fogs up my glasses. And I'm like, ah, it's so good. <laughs> smell of the paper. So you don't see uh, digital comics taking over the same way. Like it seems like for novels, uh, you know, the Kindles taking over for, you know, casual reading. It might, it might eventually. I, uh, I see that there will always be like a market for printed stuff. Just like um, with my fiance, she reads a lot of novels and books, and she has the same problem, like having it like on the Kindle and that. She likes having the actual book there, but it's like a space issue too. Right. But there will always be people that like an actual product, like an actual book in their hand. They like the feel of it. They like, some people like to have like a library that you can go in and be like, look at all these books I have. Don't I look fancy? Don't I look knowledgeable? (laughs) Stuff like that. For me, it'll be like, look at all my art books. Look at all my comic books. There's my, there's my manga section. There's the English manga. There's the Japanese manga. I can't read it, but it looks pretty. (laughs) So it, Sometimes it's also nice for a display piece because they look they look really good lined up on the bookshelf, too. But I, I like I like having physical, and I think there will always be people that like physical. But a lot of people are moving towards digital because it is um, just a little bit more convenient. Right. Well, you're you're a you're a collector. I mean, that's that, and and we all are as far as comic books are concerned. I mean, we all we all want the physical books, but there's you know I can I could. <laughs> Do I need to go buy a $7 copy of Jurassic Park and to, to enjoy it? No, I can, I could buy a $2.99 one off of Amazon and be perfectly fine. It's not something I need to collect. Now, when you say Jurassic Park, are you talking about a movie or a comic book version of that? I'm talking about the novel. Uh, now when you bought it off Amazon, did you buy the physical version of it? Or are they sending you a cheaper version of it? <laughs> no, Cause I, I know Amazon it. sends like, has like these reduced rates for books. Out there, so. I meant I meant the Kindle version. I meant the okay. digital version. Yeah, like people can do that. That's not a that's not a big deal. You you paid your money for it. So that that leads into our next question. So what do you think about uh, I guess the dark side of digital, where things get propagated uh, illegally? Ah, uh, yes. Um, well, to me, I I I, I don't really like that because you're you're taking something that. A lot of people have worked a long time on. They put a lot of hard work into it, and you're just 
taking it for free. And then like some of those, some of those people will go online and like start criticizing you what you could do better. Now, in my mind, those people have stolen that item and they don't have the same rights as somebody who has like bought the digital copy or actually bought the book, right? Like they don't have, you have no right to complain about this book now. Like you don't have the rights of a consumer anymore because you've just taken it. It's like if you stole like an iPod and you got home and you didn't like it or you didn't work or it didn't work, uh, would you go back to the store and return it or complain about it? Because you like, you've taken it. It's the same thing to me for like a, even a comic book. Like, um, now you, you have people complaining about it, but it's like you haven't invested any money into it. Like, so you're, it's like, you're just getting, you're just getting it for free. So what, what does it matter if you don't like it or not? Right. But, um, a big thing is with comic books today, um, a lot of the reason certain titles are still around are sales of the title. And, um, the more the book sells, the better the company knows that the title is doing, the longer it will stay around. Now, say my book here only makes like a certain number of sales, but the larger amount is being in torrents or uh, illegal downloads. Um, those numbers aren't calculated by the actual company. So they'll be like, oh, more than me. CI sold like 10,000 copies at the beginning. It's like it was steady around seven or eight thousand or be like whatever. But now it's like dropped to five or that. Then that title, they'd be like, well, we, we can't afford to keep making it anymore. So, like, buying an actual book helps tell the company, yes, we like what you're putting out. We want to help support you and hopefully keep artists like me and Andrew and, like, Livio and everybody in a job still. So we can still make stuff for the fans to like because we're, we're trying to do our best to make products that people will like. But we need people to actually buy the product to help support us to let us know that we like it. And, like, if we if people bought it, they paid money, good money for it. And there was a problem with it. They, they didn't like it. They let us know, we will listen to that because you are a paying consumer. We're making this product for you. So yes, tell us what you don't like and we'll, we'll work our best to try and fix that. But that's for people that like actually put like their hard earned money into it. Cause now you're invested in that product. So we, uh, you have every right to like tell us what you think about it. So do you think, uh, at least I know with the, uh, with the music industry, there was, you know, it took, I guess it took about 10 years for the whole digital thing to shake out in terms of going from Napster, where basically everyone was pirating, to iTunes, where like the music you get had the digital rights management. And then now, I guess, I don't know if it's just iTunes, but I think iTunes and a couple other places give you the music. Like when you buy the music, it has no digital rights management on it. And with the like on Comixology, we're at the stage where you can buy it digitally, but you still have the kind of the rights management because you can't really, you you know, you can't get a separate file out of the uh, out of Comixology once you've bought it. Do you think that the industry will move towards, uh, you know, a kind of a digital rights management free version of uh, comics to compete with the uh, with, uh, you know, how people are getting it, uh, you know, illegally? Hmm. That's a good question. That I'm not even sure about the answer. Uh, <laughs> it's weird because I'm still the person that goes into like a music, like a like a Best Buy or something, and I'm going through the CDs. I'm like, oh, awesome! I want this one. I'll go buy it, put it on my computer, and then like toss the CD in some corner. <laughs> I'm like, what? I could buy this on iTunes. I don't know how to use that stuff. Like, I'm so behind the times there. But uh, I don't know. That's a good question. 
Now I'm, I'm pretty sure like for the most part, uh, people are using torrents and that to like cut down on costs. Right. Um, so I don't know, like I believe somebody brought up like comiXology reduces the price of back issues like later on that maybe right. if they did that sooner, like maybe a month after it came out, then reduce the price of it so that you don't have like such a long wait between issues before the price is dropped. I don't know. There are a lot of things like, um, to try and like stop pirating. Um, yeah. I don't know, but, but you, you really don't want to, you have to also think about like comic book stores too. Right. Like yeah. I, I don't, like I'm, I'm friends with like the owner of one of my local comic book stores and I really don't want to see him out of business because like I know about all the hard work that he puts into the store and trying to keep it afloat. Like he'll do certain events and everything. And I'm just like, yeah, like it, it's getting like tough for um independent comic book owners to stay afloat these days. So I I want to try and do my best to support them, but I don't know, like times are changing. I guess we can only wait and see what happens. Yeah, I mean it it does seem like the Kindle has pretty much killed uh you know your local bookstore based other than Barnes and Noble. I think that's the only one that really is still has any presence in <laughs> around the country and they aren't doing so good either yeah <laughs> up here um our local bookstore is like called it chapters and i go into that store and i'm like wow am i in like a home living store there's so much like pillows and like blankets and little knickknacks and candy i'm like frames. this picture frames everything like that i'm like Starbucks. Is this a books? Is this a bookstore? Well, <laughs> I, I don't mind them having. I don't mind stores having the Starbucks because it's nice to walk around with like a coffee or a, a pomegranate lemonade. I do like that. <laughs> but um, I don't know. It's just it, it's scary to see how things are changing now. Yeah, I can remember when I was like a kid, bookstores like all these different books, like hundreds of them. And I remember when the manga section was like four or five like gigantic shelves now is down to like one and i'm like mm, wow this really blew up in their face and now like it just shows like the way things are changing yeah used, used to be big and now it's not will that happen to comics i don't know i hope not but you never know yeah i mean at least i think comics are slightly different because they are more a little bit more of a collector's item rather than just you know it seems like book, you know, books are more of a commodity, but uh, I don't know. All right, uh, Yoshi, I'm waiting for you to jump in. You're not going to jump in here. <laughs> well, it's it's I'm not. It's, I'm just I'm sitting here having a conversation with myself, and I'm trying to trying to figure out what's what's the best way to word it, or if I should word it. You know, I mean, uh, Alex and I are in the same that we buy our CDs from a music store still. I think we do it for different reasons though. I buy it because, you know, if something unforeseen happens to me, uh, first the podcast will go a lot smoother. (laughs) Second, second, you know, uh, my next of whatever will be able to enjoy my music collection. You know, if I, if I buy that stuff from iTunes or Amazon, Unless it happens to be one of the handful of songs that's not DRM'd, they can't they can't enjoy that. Um, you know, when when iTunes came around, they they made songs and music realistically priced. I don't their their audio quality is still subpar for me, which is why I, those you know the DRM and the audio quality are the two reasons why I don't buy into it. Now with 
with comic books, I, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to pin myself into a hole. I don't know a whole lot of people that go to comic book stores that aren't collectors. And, and, you know, I, and I should know better because I know, you know, IDW sells a phenomenal amount of My Little Pony books. And those are, a lot of those are selling to kids. Um, who are probably just trashing the crap out of them, but enjoying them nevertheless. For me, you know, if I'm going to buy, and I would, I, I mean, the comic book industry is losing a lot of money from me because I want to buy digital, but, I, and I've got no comic book store, but I'm not going to buy into something that's charging me way too much and that I can't give, loan, or trade with somebody else. That That's just retarded. So, you know, the, the, I, I'm, I'm going to Amazon, I'm buying the trades, and I'm spending a lot less money, which in turn is still hurting the the brick-and-mortar owner, unfortunately. Um, and there's still a lot more books I'd love to have, but I do only have so much room on my, on my bookshelf where I don't need the individual issues. I would love to buy a digital compilation of, of stuff I want to read. And... Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I don't know why things were were set up and designed the way they are. But those are the reasons why I think I will never buy digital, and why a majority, not all, but a majority of people pirate a lot of stuff. Okay, I can just chime in here for a second. I, I, I don't um, have a Comicsology account. I do have multiple comic book stores in my area, which I do. Uh, I have a. a, a very large pull list from the one I frequent, which actually just won this past fall. They they won the best comic book store in Canada award, which is pretty cool. Um, it's like winning hockey. <laughs> oh, what store was that? Heroes, Heroes in London. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I mean, my personal opinion when it comes to comic books is, is Yoshi kind of touched on it. Is I want to be able to to hold the book. I want to I want to be able to pass something on. To my daughter, or you know, uh, if the fates would have it, if more kids if they come along, and uh, um, you know, I want something, you know, something that if you know my life goes to shit, I want to be able to have you know something that I can actually go to and say, look, this stuff is worth money, right? Give, I'll give you my stuff, you give me money, and I can buy food with it, right? Um, digital comics are not that. I can't do that with those things. Right, I could I could go to Comicsology and I could spend ten dollars and get ten awesome comic books um, that in the real world would be worth hundreds um, and save a significant amount of money. But when push comes to shove, after I'm done reading them one, two, three, a hundred times, I have I can't do anything with them. Right? I may I may go and memorize the the book front to back, but after that is done, then what? I, I still have this file here that I can't do anything with. I can't hang it on the wall. I can't get it signed. I can't sell it. You know, that's that's been my problem with it. And that's probably why I will never get a Comixology account, regardless of my uh, my um, literacy with computers and the ability to do fun things with them. See, I see the most of the digital comics is more for people that just want to get into the stories and don't really care about the collecting aspect or, or they're just new, get new comic readers. And it's like their first, their first, um, I guess impressions or entrance into reading comics. I mean, I'm one of the, I guess, I don't know if you can call it stupid or or gullible or what, but I actually get the physical and the comicsology version just because I want to read it when it comes out, but I can't make it to the comic shop as frequently as I'd like to. 
but what I've tended to do lately is just like I'll flip through the physical book and then I'll I'll put it in the bag and you know put it in a box and then when I want to read it again I always go back to the digital version just because it's so more convenient. Let me let me let me say this if just for the sake of argument let's say there's twice as many people um, uh, pirating uh, every issue of Transformers than that's buying it. You've got there. There's some value in that. You got to think because you've got people that are interested in the book. They're reading it every time an issue comes out. They're gonna come to the conventions. They're gonna they're gonna check out merchandise at some point. I mean, I think there's there's a lot of value in that. Not that I'm condoning it, but you know, getting the brand out and getting more eyes on it is worth something. It, it's arguably maybe worth more than the cover price. Mm. See if like. If you have people like just taking like the product, right? Right. Then, then ultimately, if you can just take it, it's worthless. So, somebody that's taking books, that's enjoying them and reading them, and wants to meet the artists and go to a convention. For, for me, like you've just like you read it, right? But you you didn't help support it, right? Right. So, say say like a lot of people do it, right? It's like like you said, twice the amount, right? Yeah. And then possibly later on, more than me say, close it down. I'm like out of a job but i'm at a convention you're like hey yeah i can't like, you come up to me he's like yeah, yeah i really like this book and everything it was great when it was running like um i'll be like oh thanks did, did you like buy all of these issues and maybe they'll tell me no no i just like downloaded them i'll be like you're responsible for me being out of work now because you didn't like support the book like it's fine to like love something and like want to get a hold of it but also like support the company like support the book somehow like um yeah we I'll back we, we need like uh like idw needs to see like I, it's horrible to say but we need to see sales numbers to keep these books going if right, people I don't if, if people don't see them right and they're not gonna like they're not gonna look at these torrents being downloaded they're just gonna be like like um they're just gonna see like what numbers are being sold and it's difficult to I, say I know, I know exactly what you're saying, and 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 I I I feel like I I may have answered my aspect of it when we when I first started talking, which it is it just you know, feels like if like I'm working very hard on something for people that are buying it, right? Right. And people that just take it, it, it just feels like it, it cheapens the work that I've put in somehow. Like all those long hours I spent on it, you just you just took it for free. And it's like what it just it somehow it, it just feels like it lessens the work a bit. But for the people that, that pay pay for it and come back and pay more, that lets me know like that the work is valued and appreciated, and I want to put more into it because they're they're paying out money for this product. So it lets me know you're willing to pay good hard-earned money that you could have spent on something else, but you're willing to pay for it on my book. That means I have to put my all into that book to make sure that that money that you spent is worth it. That's how I see it. I'm just trying to like make sure that. The product that I'm putting out is for the people, like, is worth the price that you're going to pay. Gotcha. And hopefully, hopefully I'm doing that. And, like, if ever, like, I slip or, like, make a few mistakes that you don't like, then the people that pay, they should let me know because I'm there to listen to them because they are the consumer. They, ultimately, they're, like, the real bosses here because they're keeping us in work with their money that they're buying for those books. Like, IDW might, like, sign my paycheck, but, um... It's the consumer that's allowing IDW to make the book to give me a paycheck. Right. All right. Well, let's let's move uh, back into Transformers a little bit and uh, 
enough of this real world stuff. <laughs> yeah, we're we're not going to solve the problems of the comic book industry in this podcast, but uh... good because I was ready to burst a blood vessel in my forehead. <laughs> so hot topic. That's what we do. We do hard hitting interviews here. Blood boiling. Glad I'm not a Klingon, or I would have like cut off somebody's head by now. All right. So, uh, so can you tell us how you you first got into Transformers? Now, is like that got into Transformers like when I was a kid, or how did I start work with IDW? Like uh, when you get when you were a kid. So how did you like when you first uh, how, when did you first discover Transformers? Um, that's probably when the show was on TV and my mom sat me down in front of it and it's like, here, watch this, leave me alone. And I was like, ooh, ah. And then I remember my brother getting the secret jets and I got Optimus Prime and I was playing Optimus Prime and I was running him along the piano that my mom had at one time. It's just like rolling him along the keys of the piano. I bet she loved it. Uh, I guess it kept me out of her hair, so. <laughs> but I always remember, I always remember wanting what my brother had because the jet seemed really cool looking and he was older than me. He's like 11 years older than me. So he, he knew the value or he was at that age when it's like toys are precious and I'm going to keep it pristine. When I'm like, I want to play with that. And I remember sneaking into his room and picking up his, uh, sky warp and then the missile pod fell off and I thought I broke it and I like hit it and I ran away. <laughs> <laughs> Because, you know, as like a little kid, you're stupid. So <laughs> something falls off. Oh, God, I broke it. He's going to like beat me up. <laughs> so was until, it- the day, until the day like I got bigger than him. And then it's like, yeah, you want to try and beat me up? I'm like, I'll like bend you into a pretzel. <laughs> well, that, that day was probably many years later, right? If he's 11 years older than you. <laughs> uh, that day would have been like when I turned probably 15. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So was it just the the toys and the TV show, or did did you also discover the comics too back in the eighties? Um, I discovered the comics um, later on. Um, it was still when they were originally coming out, and I actually remember going into my local, well, it was one of the local comic book shops at the time, and picking up uh, some of the last issues of Transformers. Um, the last one that I picked up being number seventy nine, the last Autobot. Okay. So I remember going to the store and buying those, and then it was like, later on, they weren't coming out anymore, and I was like, oh my god, Spawn, ooh, look at this, look at these <laughs> these glossy pages, and was like mesmerized by other art. And then I would go around probably my late teens, I was going back and trying to find back issues of Transformer comic books. Still haven't gotten a complete set yet, and a lot of the ones that I have, like I was holding on to, they are like destroyed, they are like mangled, and I'm like... God, what kind of kid was I growing up? <laughs> what happened to this book? <laughs> what happened to you? They're that, well loved. You that, take those are those are those teeth marks? What were you doing? <laughs> That's not a sandwich. That's reading material. <laughs> what were you smoking back as a kid? Were you smoking back as a kid? Damn it! Then you're like, right now, you guys are like, is he on drugs as a kid? Like he's just rambling about stupid stuff right now. No, we love that. We love the rambling. <laughs> That's some of our yeah. best material. But yeah, uh, it, like I was, I grew up with this stuff. I remember seeing the 86 movie in the theater that was at my local mall before they demolished it, like the theater, not the mall. And I saw it twice there. The second time I went there, there was a lady that had like this 
huge hat that didn't bother to take it off in the theater. And she sat right in front of me. And I'm a small kid at this time. I can't see over that hat. And I'm just like, I'm really upset by this. And I'm like almost crying to my mom who had to switch seats with me. And then the lady tried to switch seats because she saw that we switched around thinking that she was blocking my mom's view. It's like, no, you're blocking (laughs) my view. Don't block my view. I want to cry again when I see Optimus Prime die. (laughs) Because I cried. I think I still do cry a bit when I see that. Because I'm like, it's so touching and emotional. And I'm like, none of the live action movies have anything on this. Well, was that lady there by herself just enjoying the movie? Or did she have a child with her? That I can't tell you because my memory does not like pertain to that little detail. I just remember her being in my way and how it upset me. So <laughs> if something that upset me, I'll remember. But anything else, no, I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. And like when we got the, the VHS uh, tape for that, and those we got it almost when it came out. And back then, VHS, VHS uh, tapes were expensive when they first came out. Yeah, I, think, I remember that. I think, um, I think we paid $50 for that tape when it first came out. And I was like, Ah, so beautiful (laughs) because (laughs) so great. And like, I still have it. I still have that tape. And if my VCR still was working, I probably still play it, still plays, but I'm scared that if I ever put it into the VCR, that machine will eat it. And I'm like, nope, nope, this is sacred. You're not getting a hold of this. You have plenty of other ways to watch the movie. I have like all the different DVDs that came out from it. <laughs> like, I'm a sucker for buying that movie. I'm like, yeah. oh my god, a new version? New cover? What's this? Special special cut? What? Hmm? Oh, get yeah. bye, bye, bye. <laughs> my wife sees how many copies I have, and she's like, why? I'm like, because. <laughs> my, 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 my response would be, why not? <laughs> right. I even have the UK Blu-ray. There are no extras. There was no reason I spent as much money as I did, but I got it. <laughs> uh, it doesn't matter. I say that's a purchase well spent. Yeah. So let's let's get back into uh, your work on Transformers comics. So we talked a little bit about the Dreamwave days. So how did you make the transition to IDW? That's a nice, uh, fun story. Um, I had done some work for a, a company called Udon, and that company was formed when uh, two halves of Dreamwave uh, split apart before Dreamwave went bankrupt, and the, the company uh, for Udon uh, it's run by a man named Eric Coe. He's, like, one of the greatest guys you'll ever meet. And him, him and Pat had, like, saw differences on how to run a company. <laughs> Clearly, uh, Eric's was the better one because his company's still around. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, anyways, he approached me through um, one of the guys that he had working for him, um, Joe Wing, who worked on Energon for Dreamwave. Uh, he approached me, he got my email from Joe, approached me to do, um, these reader's digest, uh, like pop-up books and like mix and match books for the first Transformers movie. So I got to see some of the designs for the Transformers movie before any of that stuff got leaked on the internet. So I was like pretty psyched and I did this work and that year was the year I'm like, Hey, you know what? Uh, BotCon's in... Lexington, Kentucky. I know uh, people from TFCon now that are going to like drive down there. I want to go. I'm going to go to this. IDW is going to be there. I'm going to show off my portfolio to them, and I'll take some of these uh, 
Reader's Digest pages to show them. I get down there, I have like a little table. I, I did a, I think that year, I did a couple little, like I think four pages for their uh, BotCon comic. And um, I'm sitting there, um, Don Figueroa came up to me, and we were just chatting. Um, I hadn't seen him since I was in Dreamwave, and we were at a convention in Tulsa. And we were just saying, he's like, hey, you want to meet uh, Chris Rowell? And at that time, uh, Dan Taylor was one of the other editors. And I was like, sure. We went across to the, the hotel that they were staying at. There was like this uh, lounge area. I was sitting down, was talking and showing off stuff. And Chris Rowell was like, yeah, um, so we're going to be doing a movie adaptation. Do you want to do it? And I was like, yes. And he's like, all right, books, books yours. Wow, that's so, nice. And then, uh, later after the convention ended to a, we were, um, we went out to dinner. I, I was under the mindset of don't, don't get a lot because they're, they're paying for you. So you have to be nice and not order the expensive thing. And then Dan, when he's paying, he's like, wow, you're a cheap date. And I was like, damn it. I could have ordered something better now. But I always feel guilty when somebody else is paying, like, especially for a larger group of people. I always feel guilty if I buy something too overpriced. Little do I know, like, yeah, they can write it off as a business expense because we do talk work and it's like a meeting. But I don't like to, like, overcharge or, like, have them. Like, you don't want to give a bad impression. Yeah. That's basically how I, I got started with IDW. And I've been working with them ever since. And that was back in 2006. Oh, okay. So moving on to your current work with More Than Meets the Eye, so you, you talked a little bit about how uh, James Roberts uh, gives you very detailed scripts. Uh, so how much back and forth do you have with him? Uh, other other than, uh, you know, arguing about doors, is there a lot of collaboration, bet- you know, on the story and, and setup and layout and things like that? Sometimes there's not as much collaboration as I would like. You don't know how hard it is to get a hold of that man. <laughs> like, I need an answer. I'm like, get on Skype. Give me this answer. Can you send me an email about it? I can, but I want an answer right away because I'm drawing that page right now. Give me the answer now. <laughs> I'm just taking care of my kid right now. Damn it, it'll take you like two seconds. <laughs> it'll take you two seconds to like type out your email. It's like, don't you understand? I need a response right now. I don't know. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of times it's it's pretty good communication between us. But then there are times when I know that he's really like like bunkered down to like get a script done, or he's also <clears throat> working on the the classic UK book. So he's um he's doing a lot of stuff. So I know he can be pretty busy. Mm-hmm. So there'll be times when it's like you didn't get back to me. Where's my answer? But uh, and then. Then he'll be like, hey, yeah, um, I see you did this. Can can we change this? I'll be like, nope. <laughs> Should have answered your email. Should have gotten back to me. No, I don't want to do it. And then we'll have like a a, a little like um, typey row. And then I'll be like, this is going to go to fisticuffs. <laughs> and I'll mentally picture me beating him up. But uh, all joking aside, like it's pretty good communication. Um there's not there's not too much that we disagree on other than doors. Okay. <laughs> so do you have a favorite character that you like to draw? Hmm. In More Than Meets the Eye or just in general? Uh let's let's do both. So first uh, in More Than Meets the Eye. Hey there. Just a quick warning that Alex's answer to this question has a small spoiler for season 2 of More Than Meets the Eye. 
If you'd rather not hear it, skip ahead about a minute to time. One hour, 16 minutes, 36 seconds. Uh, I have a, I have two favorite characters in more than UCI. Um, one is Skids, which I started out, um, doing back in issue two, which I helped design. And now Megatron. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, I'm just like, you've come back to me because I got to draw him in Megatron Origins. I'm like, yes. Every now and then, like every so often, you come back to me. It's like a long lost child. It's like you've returned home. Yay. Daddy's happy to see you again. Let's have some fun drawing. Yeah. We saw you put out some, uh, or just one picture on Twitter recently. Yeah. Um, since the, the cover for 29 was shown off and it showed him on there, I'm like, well, my, I guess I can show off the little piece of work that I did for him. That was fun. Yeah. It's fun. It's fun drawing him. I'm drawing him as we speak. So beyond more than meets the eye, is there another character that that you just like drawing in general? Uh, it's really hard to choose. But I like drawing Galvatron. Oh, okay. So you, you, I guess you get that chance with uh, since you're doing Dark Cybertron Chapter Ten. Yes, yes, I do. Okay, cool. We'll we'll look forward to that. So, uh, what do you think about? redrawing the issues of the original uh, Marvel series. Like, just the idea, if someone uh, decided, hey, may, uh, what, wouldn't it be fun if we just took all the, the original 80-issue run and, and put them in a modern comic style, maybe as a, you know, just to, to see how they would look, how they would come out? Uh, that'd be interesting. Um, I'm already marking my placeholder. I want issue 40 with the, when the Pretenders show up, so... If IDW's listening, that's my issue. Don't give it to anybody else. I'll get mad. <laughs> okay. You don't, you don't want me to come down there and get mad. <laughs> I can I can be a brute. Uh, what What is it about the Pretenders that draws you in? I, I don't know. Like uh, the cover has uh, Skullgrin and Bumburst on it, and Skullgrin was my first Pretender that I bought. Or that okay. My mom bought me. I remember it. We were in a store called uh, Zeller's, and which is no longer around. And yeah, I got this toy. And I remember seeing a long aisle of Transformers back then, and I picked the one with the weird skull dog face. <laughs> I also remember that day coming across a novel with a creepy cover of the Titanic with a woman's face above it, and I that scared the crap out of me for the longest time. And every time... We were going past that section. I was like, no, don't want to go by. No. <laughs> so that's the memory attached to Skullgren. Okay. So <laughs> we're jumping back to the to more than meets the eye in the Lost Light. Uh, how much do you have mapped out of the Lost Light interior? Do, do you know roughly like where each location is in relation to each other? Like where Swerve's bar is in relation to this, to the bridge and to Rung's office, things like that? I do, and then James keeps changing things on me, and it really irritates me. And it makes me think, okay, I really got to give him the floor map so that he knows where things are. Because I'm just like, this is irritating. Stop changing stuff on me. This doesn't work out very well. You can't have this, all of this. You can't have all this stuff going on in one like deck of this ship. Especially now that he's established how large it is. Right. I'm just like, okay. We need we need to discuss some things. Did did he mention th- those dimensions before Dark Cybertron? No. So I'm just like, all right, buddy, we need to have a talk. If you're going to come up with a size of this ship, I need to know. 
do you actually have like a a sketch of the floor map? Is it something? Is there something that we can actually see? Uh, I have a very loose one because I haven't really had the time to actually draw it out in full detail. But I have like these cross section drawings. I'm like, okay, this is going here. This goes here. I want to have this here. Oh, I'll pitch an idea for a room to add here because I think this will work. Um, for right now, I know that the oil reservoir is on the top of the ship underneath, like underneath what you can call those, uh, communication pylons, like the, the red spiky bits at the back. Oh, there's, okay. a dome, there's a domed area. That's the oil reservoir underneath that dome. Okay. So that's where that is. Okay. Uh, Rung's office is, should be near the semi front of the ship. Um, well, the bridge is where the, the row of glass windows are, but it doesn't take up that entire row of glass windows because it just takes up a small section at the front. <laughs> it, it's really weird to see like all the different artists um, with their interpretations of the Lost Lake because I'm like, wow, you drew that a little too big there. You drew it too small there. What's going on there? And then <laughs> sometimes I was just like, wow, who drew it look like a pig floating in red water? <laughs> Do you remember those... Um... Like in those Star Trek Next Generation books, they would have like the big cross cut picture They're, of the Enterprise. The, tech, the technical guides, right? I own all of them. IDW should should have you guys do one for the Lost Light, like just I should. that that big just picture of where everything is. I should, but if I do that, madness will ensue, and it might split the universe in two. <laughs> I'm all for that. Wait, you you're willing to bear the consequences of that? All right. I'll let James know. <laughs> we'll, we'll just blame Daryl. <laughs> oh. Blame the All other right. Canadian. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's really okay. <laughs> Could somebody please stop this? <laughs> <laughs> sorry. God damn it. <laughs> Alright, we'll, we'll move on to the next question. So, uh, some uh, characters that have become uh, fan favorites are the Decepticon Justice Division. Ah, uh, yes. And uh, so you you designed Tarn, correct? I designed them all. Oh, okay, great. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, you know how you came up with those designs? All right. <clears throat> so James had the idea for the the DJD, and he would give me these some descriptions of what he wanted them to be. Like with uh, Voss, he had to be like a sniper rifle. Mm-hmm. Um. Kaon was an electric chair. Uh, Helix was a uh, smelting pool. Well, he's a smel—he has a smelting pool in his chest, but he's a Decepticon harvester that would take bots and like throw them into him and then dump them into a smelting pool. Ah, yes, that's uh, from issue seventeen. Yeah, we, we did a few that's weeks what, ago. That's why he has those really big arms because in alt mode, those are the arms of that harvester that would throw that would collect the bots. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, Tesserus is, uh, like a meat grinder almost. And with, uh, <clears throat> with Tarn, the only, like, description I got of him was that his face would be, uh, a Decepticon symbol. So I, I came up with a few sketches and I was like, okay, I was talking to James, like, how big do you want this guy to be here? Um, can he be a tank or something like that? And James was like, yeah. Uh, also, James wanted, like, a double fusion cannon on him. I was like, okay. So I played around with a few sketches. I came up with an alt mode, and then I created the robot mode. And uh, later on, I, I just tweaked the face when I did the, the cover for um, issue seven. And 
that's the design that stuck. Mm-hmm. The, the hardest one that I feel I had to design was Kaon because I was just like, an electric chair? Really? You have me drawing an electric chair? You want an electric chair to transform into a robot? And I'm like, all right, I have to really think about how this is going to work here. And part of me was just like, yeah, my brain started to explode and melt and dribble out my ear at one point. And then I was like, I'm just going to have him on wheels. He's going to be on an electric chair on tank treads because he can move around in his alt mode form too. And once I did that, it became a little easier. But I actually had to design him in pieces. I came up with a, ske- a rough sketch of the chair, and then I designed him into pieces, like how his torso looked, how the head looked, how the arms would look, how the legs would work. And then I pieced him together for a final design. Um, then uh, one of my bright ideas that backfired on me was like, hey, James, you remember in issue three in the flashback when we see Megatron and he's holding that really big sniper rifle? Wouldn't that be cool if that was Voss? And he's like, hey, that's a good idea. Let's do that. And then I was like, crap. <laughs> Gotta make that turn into a robot now. And I was like, way to go, bright eyes. Like, you stupid <laughs> Like, why did you do this to yourself? And I'm like, so I had the the pleasure of coming up with that. Uh, Helix and Tesseris, they were the easiest to do. They're nice big guys, too. I like drawing big guys. Well, I, I didn't know that that was, that you had designed Voss to be that sniper rifle from, I have to go back and dig back into my issues and check that out. Yeah. That's cool. So with Tarn and his Decepticon symbol face, did James specify that it was a mask or did you design it that way? He, he said it was a mask and then I, I came up with, I haven't shown James this, and I haven't shown really anybody this, but I, I know about, I knew about what James wanted when we had a chat, so I actually have, uh, what his face looks like underneath there. Ooh, too. okay. Spoilers. <laughs> I guess you're not gonna tell us. <laughs> no. So, uh, another, uh, another design question we had was, uh, we saw, some early concept art uh, from back in uh, 2011 when you were working on uh, Chaos Theory, where you designed uh, Rung, mm-hmm. and you had originally designed like a you know kind of a small communications vehicle alt mode for him. But now we see that he has a you know the that uh, in the story he a- he actually has a different alt mode. So do you know when when James decided on that unusual uh, ornament alt mode for Rung? I'm not exactly sure. Um, James likes to change his mind with Rung all the time, which is a little bit annoying at times. Uh, originally, when he gave me the idea for Rung, he's like, can you be like a ladder or a table? And I think like veins popped in my forehead and my eye was twitching and I'm like, a ladder, <laughs> a table. And I was thinking to myself, you know, Hasbro's not going to make a toy of a transformer that turns into a ladder or a table. Um, so I said, what if I make him like this? And James is like really specific. He's like, I, he has to be like scrawny and like, doesn't look like he can handle himself in a fight. So I was like, that's no problem. Like, and he's like, and I don't want like a lot of stuff like visual, like, like, I don't want you to know how he transforms, like how he could, it's like, you look at him, it's like, how does he transform? What does he transform into? It can't be very obvious. And I was like, all right, fine. So I came up with, um, an alt mode and everything and, James liked it, and he's like, yeah, this is really good. And that lasted for, I guess, Chaos Theory and a few issues of Mori Meets Yai, and then he, he came up with a new idea, and it changes. So, Okay. I'm just 
I'm just going to be that guy. I'm going to be like, James, uh, I don't think Hasbro's going to make a, a toy of an ornament. I don't think that will sell to kids, but <laughs> that's just me. It's just me. It could be a Christmas special. <laughs> yeah, if you want Rung to be on your tree, sure. Yeah, exactly. He could be the topper. So, um, we already mentioned, uh, you mentioned Skids that you, you, you helped design in issue two. And now, you know, it's recently come out as a toy. So how do you, how do you feel when you see your design get turned into a toy? And do you actually have it? Uh, I do have it. I haven't opened the package yet, but I, I have two of them. Oh, okay. Uh, one so I can keep in alt mode, one so I can keep in robot mode. But I guess that defeats the point if I haven't opened them yet. So. <laughs> But it, it's great. It, it's like a huge thrill to see something that I created on paper for a comic book be turned into a toy. It's even more like inspiring to me to know that a character from a comic book that I'm working on is popular enough to be made into a toy now. Yeah, that's cool. So uh we have some of, you know, th- that was an official toy from Hasbro. So what do you feel about the third party companies uh, taking your designs and using them for toys? Like that hash talk or that yeah, tra- yeah. trash trash talk. trash trash talk and yeah. uh, and the azalea. Um, I'm just gonna be like love it. <laughs> uh, that trash talk and like that swerve and gears. Um, I must have those because they match the alt mode for the comic book like pretty much perfectly. <laughs> and I'm just like ah. The Hasbro one, I was like, when I thought, I was like, ah, but now I'm like, oh my god, the alt mode from that I drew in issue two, he's there, I'm like, ah, I'm like, okay, make more, make more for me to buy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they even made the little, the little, uh, drink tray. They made the My First Blaster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, there, there's dedication right there. <laughs> and I think one of the guns they based on the Schumer too, so, they made that one too. Oh, I didn't see and that one. I, I don't know. I think I saw it somewhere where there's a really damaged face for Swerve, so you can switch out his happy face to the I just shot myself in the face. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> so uh how much time do you take to usually work on a typical more than meets the eye issue? You you mentioned, you know, crying and hand cramping, so how how long does it take you to, to finish that issue? Uh I'm I'm given a month to do it, and usually I'll, I'll probably take the month. But um, there, there have been times when I have been like at my peak and all energized, and then I can get a book done in two or three weeks, depending on exactly what James wants. If it's like really heavy with characters and backgrounds and everything, it might it'll take longer. But that's been my best for a more than meets the eye issue. And then after that, I'm just like. All right, this is awesome. And your my body's like, you just burnt yourself out, and now you are going to be slow, and you're going to need an inker and fill in artist because you just pushed yourself over the limit that I'm going to allow you. So deal with that, old man. <clears throat> yeah, usually it's a month, and a month is um, a fair amount of time. Mm-hmm. It's uh, more than a page a day. Okay. I just have to make sure that I don't get distracted by TV and toys and Lego. <laughs> it's hard. So uh, you mentioned that when Dark Cybertron was was ramping up, you were still working on Remain in Light. So when you finished up Remain in Light, did you get any any kind of a break afterwards? Uh, I, I had a week, maybe 
I had a little bit longer. I had a, a three-week break where I wasn't doing anything. Okay. Well, I guess, no. Um, the one thing I got to do was issue 26's cover. So that's the 10 bot cover. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to work on that and I was like, yeah, awesome. I've been like dying to draw fembots for like the longest time. I'm like, I keep bugging like people like, let's get more fembots in here. And now they finally do. So I'm like, yeah, I don't have to keep sneaking them in in the background. <laughs> I know people love when I do that. Well, I love that cover. I, you know, I try, I, I, you know, had to call my comic book shop and make sure they held one for me. Yeah, my, my comic book shop holds me all the covers, so because there's sometimes a chance that any uh, comp copies that are sent to me in the mail from IDW don't make it here in pristine condition, so I must have a pristine condition. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now that we're we're on the cusp of getting into More Than Meets the Eye Season 2, uh can you just give us some general thoughts on that? I mean, you you and James have been teasing a bit on Twitter, you know, about different things when you when you finish a page, you know, talk about new characters and things like that. So, just what what are your thoughts? How where do you think it's going? Uh, let's see. I'm sure that when people read season two, when they get into it, several people will lose their mind, have to be committed to a mental hospital. Maybe some people will have like some sort of pulmonary problem. Hearts will palpitate. Uh, blood pressures will go high. There will be some sort of profound yelling. Like many profanities will be coming out. Uh, darkness, despair, or tragedy. <laughs> um, that good, huh? Uh, the universe imploding. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, typical more than meets the eye amped up to, uh, beyond what is recommended by the Surgeon General. <laughs> so just take taking it to another level, basically? Uh, pretty much. Um, I know with my contribution to this first, like, to issue 28, I've just decided, I'm like, okay, season one was good to test out what I can, what I could and couldn't do. And, like, now I'm just going to be like, okay, this is what I think I can. Like, this is what I want the book to look like now. And let's just roll with this. Um, with the, the issue of Dark Cybertron, I was testing out a few things of how, how much I could put into a page. And now I'm like, okay, now I know. And we're just going to apply that to, uh, more than meets the eye. All right. If, uh, that makes, uh, colorists cry, um, well, that's not really my problem. <laughs> so no sympathy for Josh Burcham is what you're saying. Nope. I'll be like, you, you've had a vacation. Welcome back. Well, he has, now I'll get to work. He has been coloring, uh, Samurai Jack. He's had it easy. Here we go. <laughs> Enjoy. Welcome, welcome back to the madness. As you can see, we have gone crazy. So what are your thoughts on, on how IDW has been teasing things for season two? I guess, cause we, we had those huge kind of spoiler images released over Twitter, uh, about a month ago. Hey, this section has another major spoiler for the end of Dark Cybertron. If you want to avoid it, skip ahead to time. 1 hour, 38 minutes, 35 seconds. And... With Megatron wearing an Autobot badge and everything? Yeah, that's... That's... See... Sigh. 
We we might actually have to bleep that out for the podcast because we don't want to spoil. But uh, it's been out for months now. Yeah, if, I guess if people don't know about it by now, um, they they don't have a computer. <laughs> they haven't been on the internet. It's all it's all over the place. Yeah. Uh, but I I don't know. Like with with comic books, you have you need to have solicitations for upcoming months, right? And usually, what comes out in previews for comic book stores to order to make their orders from is three months ahead of what the catalog that they have. So if they have like a, a January catalog, they're ordering for March or April. Mm-hmm. So usually yeah, January catalog is April because whatever. Um, so it's really hard to keep uh, something like with Megatron uh, a secret when you have like solicitations going on for a book. Like if this is like, this event, like when issue 28 starts off, it's in, uh, April. Uh, if you kept it a secret till April, um, you'd be in, what, July solicitations. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's a, that's four months of, three to four months of story that this character is interacting and it's going to be really hard to keep all that, like, covered up for a while. So I think they went about it a good way of just being like, okay, we're just going to make an announcement. And we're going to be the ones that like make this big announcement here. Mm-hmm. And now I, I think the uh, the thing with uh, the story, what's going to be interesting and what will make you want to read it still, is to find out how this happened. Like what happened to create this event? Yeah, I'm still. I mean, we're we've we finished chapter nine, and I still kind of don't see the path from to make i mean i can see megatron you know working with the autobots or you know having a common cause or a common goal but i can't see him actually putting stamping that badge on his chest that's that's where i'm i'm just it's it's wigging me out how how it could come to that all right well here here's it all in detail for you now (laughs) um no i think some of the seeds of that happened in uh, chapter 10, so you'll start to see it start right there. My problem with this whole, like, spoiler image thing is you still, you hadn't even gotten into the second half of Dark Cybertron yet, and basically you're spoiling something in Dark Cybertron saying Megatron is going to survive. You know, IDW, yeah, they can put out the solicitations, but they didn't have to, like, post to their Twitter account this big picture at this time. They could have waited until, you know, around now to put that image out. So, I mean, it, it, it ruined a little bit of Dark Cybertron for me just by having those spoilers out there. To each their own, I guess. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm just one that I, I hate spoilers and I like... See, um, since you have three issues of Dark Cybertron left, technically the cover for 29 of More Than Meets I would have spoiled Dark Cybertron for you, so... Either you spoil it but, sooner or later. Yeah, but I mean, I I can generally avoid those images, but they made sure these images were everywhere, and I could not I could not go onto Twitter without seeing it, or like any Transformers news site without seeing it, and it just I don't know. I mean, they they could have done it a little better, in my view. There's always room for improvement. To me, it's just like okay, you showed it off. I'm like, if I was a reader, I'd be like, oh. What, what's going on here? I'm like, okay, now I'm going to have to read to find out how this happened. So that's what's got my main interest, really. You, you've spoiled, like, you've shown this image and it's a spoiler for some and 
it might have ruined some of their expectations. But I'm like, okay, now I need to find out what the hell is going on. How did this happen? That's for me, anyways. Be like, how is, like, what's going to happen at the end of Dark Cybertron? Give me those final issues now so I can find out what's happening on that cover, because that cover is craziness. Like, I cannot believe what's going on. It must be some sort of trickery. Maybe that's what it is, some sort of trickery. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, I usually do seek out the spoilers just because it doesn't bother me, but I think, you know, I think the objection is that the choice was removed from people. You know, if if you wanted to avoid spoilers, basically that option was taken away from you for for this particular instance. I think that's that's the problem that, that Jeremy and some people have with that. No, that's that's fine, and that's everybody's uh, opinion, and I'm not going to debate that. Yeah. I just give you what I feel, and that's about it. Yeah, I'm just, I'm having to make my own piece with it. It's just, Come over it was here, frustrating I'll at give the you time. A hug. <laughs> would you, would give you like a hug, hug for me? Like, that make it up? Hug for me? Or do you want, yeah. do you want me to get, do you want me to get James to give you a hug too? He might stab me. <laughs> <laughs> that's just a different yeah. kind of hug. It's a more intense, <laughs> <a> more intense <laughs> hug. <laughs> wow. <laughs> So, um, so moving away from uh, from more than meets the eye a little bit, what are, what are your thoughts on the live action movie? So you mentioned that you uh, you got your first work with IDW drawing the movie adaptation for the first one. What do you think of them in general? Uh, I remember being super excited to see them when we first caught like the teasers and the trailers for them, and then uh, a little bit later on, it's just certain things that happened in the movie. I'm like, okay. Why, why did you do that? Like, why did, why did Bumblebee need to pee on Simmons? Like, I, I just didn't get that. And I was, I was kind of disappointed with, um, the amount of screen time for the Transformers in general. Um, generally, uh, they're not the most sophisticated movie to watch. They're, they're like a popcorn movie. They're something to sit back and enjoy the explosions and flash on the screen and then, you come away and you're like, yeah, that was awesome. And then, cause you're like super high on explosions, your, your adrenaline's pumping. And once you've left the theater, you're like, okay, that didn't make sense here. What, what did I just watch? You're like, I paid money for this. I paid a lot of money for this. Damn it. I feel ripped off. Then you, then you go back and you watch it again and you're like, why did I pay money, more money for this again? <laughs> it's like your brain's like, well, you saw it in 3D the first time. So, Maybe that affected your overall interpretation of it. And it's like, no, no, that, I can't justify that now. So in the beginning, it was fun. Um, but now, I don't know, like after seeing the, the Super Bowl trailer, I was just like, eh, it didn't have my, didn't hold my interest like the, the other three did. Mm-hmm. Like the other three teasers felt more like teasers. Like they had me pumped to see the movie. I'm like, oh my God, it's going to be better than the last one. This one, I'm just like, eh. Yeah. I, th- I think that's where we are, too, at this point. Like, I'll, I'll never forget how excited I was to see Dark of the Moon after seeing, like, the first or that extended trailer. And you saw, like, the ships coming up from the moon surface. And I was just like, oh, my God, this looks awesome. It's going to be more amazing than anything. And I saw the movie. And I was like, hmm. I, ha- I had the same response. After I saw the preview at Bicon that they did, and I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. We're going to have the same reaction for the next movie. <laughs> but um, I, I understand why they keep making them, and it's something that Hasbro needs to, uh, to keep going. And if they need to do it 
to make, they need to have these movies come out so that we get more uh, generations toys that base stuff off designs from my comic. I'm all for it. I'll, I'll champion the movies because I'll be like, yeah, yeah, go movies. Give Hasbro money to put into really good toys. <laughs> I want my Tarn figure. Come on. <laughs> better be it. Better be Voyager or bigger. That would I'm be an saying. awesome figure. I will buy five of them. There you go. Be super kick-ass. I will go to see the movie a couple of times if, if it goes to fund something like that. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, where does your online handle, Marker Guru, come from? Uh, that, that, that comes from something back in my college days where um, I was in my uh, imaging systems class, which was uh, basically a, a technical rendering class, and we got to marker rendering. And I was the student that had the most markers in the entire class. And I knew which ones would work with what kind of paper and like, cause I had been using them for a while. Not as good as the professor and the stuff that we learned in class. I'm like, Oh my God, this is how this works. And I can do this with that. I'm like, damn, I've been using these like a complete fool for so long, but I had so many different versions of markers and I was like addicted to buying like markers to, to try out and draw and color with that one of my friends is like you're like some sort of marker guru and i was like oh my god that's awesome and i was like i need an email now and i'm like i'm just going to use that marker guru and i'm like yep and it's stuck <laughs> it's not how you use the marker it's sheerly the size it's it's the sheer number of the markers overall satisfaction through numbers <laughs> quantity over quality huh well, I, I provide both, so it's an overall pretty good package. <laughs> so do you have any plans to attend all the conventions this year? So I think it was already announced you're going to Auto Assembly again this year, or are you also going to BotCon and TFCon? I, I'm not going to BotCon. Okay. But I will be at TFCon, and I will be at Auto Assembly, and I'm trying to see if I can swing the TFCon USA. Okay. I met you last year at TFCon, um, and I, I was going to get you to do a sketch for me, but being the, the, the great Alex Milne, the, the artist on More Than Meets the Eye, I, I couldn't get the time of day from you other than to get some books signed. So it was, uh, you, you had a quite the impressive uh, lineup to go into your table there for, for sketches. Uh, it, it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, it, it's really weird how busy I've gotten over the last little while. But uh, if you want to sketch, the best thing to do is to come at me right away <laughs> and let me know what you want, and I'll put you down on the list right away. That way, you, I can start working on them pretty fast. Um, one thing with a lot of the conventions um, now is when I'm working on a sketch, a lot of people bring up a lot of books to sign, which is great. I love signing books for people, and I'll sign as many as people want. And I did see your YouTube video about... Uh, <laughs> going to TFCon, and you're saying, don't drop this fat stack. No, no, go ahead. Drop that fat stack of books in front of me. I will sign every single one of them because that's what I do, and it's just showing me that you appreciate what I do. So I have no problem signing as many books as you put in front of me, but it does take away from me doing sketches. So something I'm going to have to implement now is like signing times mm -hmm. for people. I'm hoping that will help me better time manage at a convention. So between certain period of time, it'll be like, bring me all your books. And I'm devoted to everybody signing. And I'm mm -hmm. be like, you have my undivided attention. I'll sign as many or as much as you bring. 
And after that time, please don't come up to me because I'm working on people's commissions because I want to get them done too because I hate having to mail them off to people because when once I get home from a convention, I'm swamped with more than meet CI and stuff like that. And it's really hard for me to like, like focus on a, a sketch too. Mm-hmm. I still have, I still have a few of them to send off from auto assembly and I'm really upset about that because I'm like, oh my God, like I feel so bad for these people. I'm like, what can I do to make it up for people? And I'm like, okay, I'll make a new print for them, but I don't have time to create a new piece of artwork at the moment and have somebody color it. And I'm like, what can I do? I got like, I'll give them like the sketch cover here, but I'm like, I don't have time at the moment to draw out a sketch cover for everybody. So I'm like, I'm just like rifling through. I'm like, Okay, I'll, I'll just grab some like pages from some comics. I'll be like, when, when I have the chance to mail people stuff out, they'll, they'll get like some nifty page from like the Drift miniseries or ongoing or something, something random, maybe something from more than meets the eye. I don't know, but just to make up for the fact that you've had to wait so long because people, people have been nice and patient so far. And I can understand them being frustrated for waiting since auto assembly to get something back in the mail for me. And sometimes I'm not the best with communication because I get really like, stressed out at times seeing like hey do you remember me back in uh tfcon or in auto assembly and i got this stuff here i'm just wondering what's going on no no real pressure or anything and then it's like super pressure because it's like the amount of work from idw and i'm like oh my god somebody's waiting for something that i forgot about because i got wrapped up with this stupid page from more than meets the eye that's james fault got wrapped up in it so partial part of the blame goes to him but like i get like really uh frustrated that i didn't get their their commission or sketch done so i want to try and get as much done at the convention as possible now so i need to start implementing signing times Mm -hmm. so you recommend people uh, be patient and that way they'll get more from yes (laughs) (laughs) if the longer you're patient the more he'll give you (laughs) the more i'll give you out of guilt (laughs) i'll be like i feel so bad for making you wait here i'll be like here you go here's a beautiful like or or I'll upgrade their sketch. Like if they're like they got a head sketch and I hadn't even started and they're waiting, I'll be like, Oh my god, here you go, here's a full body one. Sorry for the wait. <laughs> do you do you take pre orders like before the convention? I do. I did that for uh for auto assembly because I didn't know what to handle and I made like a a cap, like how many I wanted to do, and then there were a lot of people that were disappointed so I had to keep extending the cap because I it was the first time out there, and I didn't know if I was going to be coming back, and I didn't want to disappoint them. And it was just, like, amazing to see uh, the response from people wanting to get something from me. And it just happened that I had everything drawn out in pencil, but inking it in and coloring it with the amount of time at the convention. And I was working while before the convention while I got there in my hotel room. And it, it was just so much that in the end, when I wasn't able to get certain people's sketches done, I'm just like, Okay, I have it drawn. Just take it. Take it. They'll be like, how much? I'll be like, no, no, just just take it because I didn't finish it. I'll just give the pencils, the pencil sketch away. But then there were some there like, no, no, you can mail it to me. I don't mind waiting. And I'm just like, no, please, no. <laughs> I don't want to mail. <laughs> I, I, I see bad things happening like you waiting a long time for this. <laughs> but on the upside, you get paid too. I guess, but the some of the, the guilt I feel for making people wait a while. I'm just like, oh, no, just just take the pencil sketch and it's okay. Yeah. I'm sorry I didn't get your sketch done. I, I'll try harder next time. So for pre-orders, and I'm, I'm really going to have to limit it to uh, just a few. Because um, my whole uh, time at Auto Assembly 
was doing pre-ordered sketches. I didn't have time to take anybody's sketch requests at the convention. I was just backlogged with finishing up ones that people had pre-ordered already. Mm-hmm. So that's a good way for me to get reference for the characters, too, because sometimes people come up with obscure things and I don't have internet all the time at a convention. So I was like, oh, I have reference now. Yeah, cool. So do you have a, a story from a convention that stands out, like a, a favorite story that you like to tell? I, w- I was thinking about this because um, I remember other uh, podcasts that you were talking to others about as favorite convention experiences. I remember listening to Josh's one. That that was a favorite of mine, taking uh, Josh and James to the CN Tower for dinner and taking them around Toronto. Oh, did cool. So, did so much shopping and a uh, lot more than I should have. But my favorite convention memory is from a San Diego Comic-Con that me and Josh were at. And we we spent the whole day going around that convention. There were times when we got tired, we sat down. <laughs> We'd have to sit on the floor even. It was so packed. It's like, if you've ever been to San Diego Comic-Con, it's like a sea of humanity in there. You get into that convention, like, since I am an artist and everything, I can get in early before the actual crowds get in. You walk in there, it's like frigid cold. Five minutes after they uh, open the doors to the public, it is sweltering hot. I'm like, my God, I'm sweaty. But uh, we're walking around and we're like, hey, we're hungry. There's a concession stand over there. Let's get something to eat. And we both got pepperoni pizza. Uh, but the one that Josh got was a lot more underwhelming than what I got. And we came up with the phrase, he got a colorist pizza and mine's the penciler pizza. <laughs> <laughs> to like for our position and rank of like how our jobs work. So my favorite convention memory, and we keep laughing about it, is the uh, the colorist pizza. <laughs> That's awesome. New transmissions catchphrase. <laughs> if you want the crappiest pizza around, go for the colorist pizza. So you mentioned you know doing a lot of sketches. Is there a character that you don't like sketching for people at conventions that people ask you for? It, it it depends. Um, depends on how I'm feeling at times. Like, I I really hate when somebody asks for like a lot at a convention because I'm like, really, you're asking this much? I'm like, that's a little over the top, don't you think? Like, somebody wanted a a a full body Unicron, and I was just like, wow, that's a lot. I'm my science has head sketches. <laughs> uh, I think the one that bothers me the most nowadays and it's just because for one guy i uh, he just kept asking for this uh one sketch particularly over again and i guess i wasn't drawing it to the way he wanted so he kept coming back with the same character over and over again and i just got sick of drawing him and it was grimlock and i'm just like i hate drawing grimlock now i never want to draw another grimlock ever again <laughs> If I see Grimlock, I'm going to throw it out the window. I'm going to rip up your sketch. Bah, get out of my face. I, I've calmed down now, but back then I was just like, I hated drawing Grimlock. After a while, it's just like, it just reminded me of like um, a bad experience, left a bad taste in my mouth. Not that, not that the guy didn't like have the right to get what he wanted, and he was perfectly uh, fine in getting like the sketches, but I just, I guess I didn't understand what he was actually going for. Mm-hmm. Like, the concept that he wanted, I just I, I didn't understand it. So having to repeat doing the sketch over again, I was just like, mm. it it boiled my blood a bit. <laughs> Hopefully, I've mellowed out over the years, but probably not. Probably oh. added a few gray hairs to the beard. 
Well, if the scavengers come back, you're going to be drawing some more of Grimlock, right? I don't mind drawing that Grimlock that much. Okay. But it was like G1 Grimlock. Ah, okay. So, uh, you mentioned you do collect the toys, right? Do you collect both Hasbro and third-party toys? I I collect everything. Okay. And, uh, third-party if I have the money. Uh, mostly I, I grab a few Hasbro items here and there. Okay. I really I really enjoy the masterpiece figures. And do you have a favorite uh, character in general? Uh, Galvatron, but Galvatron from the '86 movie, voiced by Leonard Nimoy. Ah, okay. That's my all-time favorite. No crazy Frank Welker season three Galvatron. No, no, it's got to be sa- calm, sadistic, uh, calculating Galvatron. Leonard Nimoy Galvatron. It's it's great. So did you like uh, Sentinel Prime from Dark of the Moon, or were you? Was it? No, 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 no. That that wasn't that wasn't the same. Okay. It, it's, it's nice to hear Leonard Nimoy do some Transformer stuff, but like that that wasn't. It's not the same. Yeah. That was that was frail old man Sentinel Prime, and I'm just like no. <laughs> that's, that's not Galvatron. So, in the course of More Than Meets the Eye, you've gotten to design and redesign lots of characters. Is there one that stands out as your favorite, or one that you'd like to do, but you haven't gotten the chance to yet? Uh, my favorite character that I've designed. There have been a lot, and it's like, wow. I guess the favorite one I designed is Tarn. Okay. He, he's really good, but I don't get to draw him that much. And I was like, thrilled to draw like one panel of him in issue 20 right <laughs> just like oh yeah darn yeah and then when i heard james had like a bit of a longer script that he cut down where it would have been a longer scene with the djd i was like no we should have done that <laughs> why didn't you ask for more pages and then it's like idw wouldn't give us more pages because we only have 22 and you're already behind and i'm like i was like uh these are just like logistics that you're talking to me about. I hear words. They're coming in my, going in one ear and coming out the other. And I'm, what I'm hearing is we, we could have done more. You should have done more here in my eyes. It's like, give me more DJD. <laughs> the scavenger scene was fun too, but yeah, give me more DJD. All right. And we'll just end with, with one last question before we get to the rapid fire questions. So if you could combine transformers with any other property, uh, is there something you'd like to cross it over with? And where would you like the story to go for that? That's a really tough question. Cause I'm trying to think what would look good transforming. Uh, I don't know. Let's, uh, let's do uh transformers and thundercats. Oh, okay. I'm all, I'm all for that. The Cybertronian war spread to thunder. They're trying to colonize thunder and, like, they just detect some sort of energon on Thundera, and they're like, the Decepticons go to take it over, and they find all this battling with mutants and everything. Yeah, that'd be cool. The, the Thunder Tank would be an awesome alt mode. Yes. <laughs> all right, so thanks for giving us lots of information, although not very much about Season 2 or more than meets the eye, but lots of really interesting uh, information. Oh, did you did you really want to know about stuff from Season 2? Okay. Get ready. Um, this happens, and that happens, and the guy comes into a room here and talks to this guy here, and then another guy points his finger at another guy here, and like some sort of gunfire goes off, and then there's a big surprise here and something shocking, and then, oh my god, I peed my pants. There you go. <laughs> I hope that was enough for you. I hope I didn't spoil it. could have used more closets. <laughs> Damn it, I forgot the closets. There are a hundred closets. I hope that's good. As long as they all have uh, swinging doors. They do, and they all have stuff hidden in them. Awesome. <laughs> it, it could be pinatas or party surprises. 
or a combination of some sort of uh, meaty taco. Is there a, is there? I think, I think one door has uh, some burrito powers behind there, Mr. Josh Press. <laughs> he could be hiding behind a door. Is there a, a Scooby Dooby doors moment where, you know, the characters are running in between doors, uh, in and out, and slamming them and everything? I I could tell you that, but I might be fired. So <laughs> I I'm I'm going to plead ignorance and be like yes, no, maybe. <laughs> All right, so let's move on to our rapid fire questions. So, Alex, I think you've heard some of our other other podcasts, so you know how this goes, right? Yep. All right, so let's get right into it. Autobot or Decepticon? Decepticon. And your favorite Decepticon? <clears throat> Galvatron. Right. Minor Nimoy Galvatron. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, Michael Bay Transformers movie one, two, or three? One. Uh, Megan Fox or Rosie Huntington Wheatley? Megan Fox. More than meets the eye or robots in disguise? I think I can guess. More than meets the eye. <laughs> uh, third party toys, yes or no? Yes. Cats or dogs? Both, but I have cats, so. Okay. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Tea. Chicken or steak? Steak. Pepsi or Coke? Coke. Burger King or McDonald's? Burger King. History or science? Mm. A little bit of both, but science. Okay. Uh, Xbox or PlayStation? PlayStation. Call of Duty or Battlefield? Uh, Uncharted. Oh, okay. Uh, PC or Mac? Mac. iPhone or Android? Uh, neither. Okay. Blackberry? <laughs> Nokia. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't 1996, Daryl. <laughs> we're not, we're not surfing the news feeds for the latest gopher site that went on. So we're post on the fucking message board. <laughs> Marvel or DC? <laughs> Marvel. Do you have a favorite Marvel character? Iron Man. Oh, okay. Uh, Stallone or Schwarzenegger? Schwarzenegger. Scarlett Johansson or Angelina Jolie? Scarlett Johansson. Twilight or Hunger Games? Hunger Games. Pixar or DreamWorks? Pixar. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. Simpsons or Family Guy? Uh, Futurama. Oh, okay. Good man. <laughs> Walking Dead or Game of Thrones? Both, but uh, Game of Thrones. Okay. Have you read the books? No, uh, my fiance has, and she has told me all the, the juicy stuff that happens, and I watch the show. Oh, okay. Uh, NFL, MLB, NHL, or NBA? NHL. All right. I shouldn't even answer that question. <laughs> uh, Porsche, Ferrari, or Lamborghini? They're all above my pay grade, but Lamborghini. Blonde, brunette, or redhead? Uh, whatever color my fiance is sporting, but most of the time it's like a nice dark brown red. All right. Thanks uh, for going through the gauntlet and giving us some very interesting rapid fire answers. <laughs> Not a problem. All right, so I think we'll we'll wrap up the interview. So just to to, to end it, to close it out, uh, if people want to buy copies of your work, uh, how can they do that? Uh, and do you take commissions online? Uh at the moment I don't take any uh commissions right now cuz I really want to focus on the ones that I have sitting like in this pile right here that people have been so patiently waiting for. But usually uh you can get in contact with me through uh Twitter or DeviantArt. Um, people can just send me messages that way or even on Facebook if you really want something. And I have, I'll let people know when they're open and I can accept new commissions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or so just, or just come to a convention that I'm at. Come to TFCon. It's a good convention. Come. Yes. <laughs> you'll, you'll enjoy. Awesome. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say before we finish the interview? Um, not really. Just, uh, 
thanks for having me. It's been great talking with you guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's uh, quite enjoyable. All right, so uh, uh, we're doing things a little bit different on transmission, so we're actually going to end the episode here, and then we're going to have another episode later in the week where we do our regular segments, and you might hear Alex on there too, so uh, be sure to check back for that. So thanks again, Alex, for coming on and and talking with us. It's always a pleasure. And uh, again, I have to mention, if you're if you're out there listening and you like what we're doing, please give us some feedback. You know, go over to iTunes or Stitcher, uh, rate us there, uh, give us some likes on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, all those good things, and uh, just let us know uh, what you're thinking. And that's it for the show. So thanks, and we will see you next time. Bye bye. Bye bye. Toodles. Thanks for picking up our transmission. Give us feedback on our website at www.transmissionspodcast.com where you can find all of our contact info on social media and links to all of our show notes discussed in each episode. You can also email us directly at feedback at transmissionspodcast.com.